Hello and welcome to episode 1261 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, February 23rd. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined this morning by Justin Mason. Justin, good morning, sir. Good morning. How you doing? Not too bad. Got up early because Shard decided that 5 a.m. was the time to wake up and I decided to stay up, but uh, otherwise I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm super excited for Potapalooza, and I'm also a little under the weather, which is not a good sign for Potapalooza because tomorrow doing uh, or starting tomorrow, we're doing two days of 10 hour live streams and I'm hosting a I mean, I'm hosting all of it, but I'll actually be talking on a lot of it as well. Uh, and so being sick is not good timing. Not what you need at all right now. We do not need that. We need you to be a hundred percent healthy so hopefully it's just maybe a little tickle in your throat or something and uh you're good to go rest up because you, we need you all weekend and i know you won't miss it anyway you have to be pretty much yeah. on your deathbed for that one but um we talked yesterday you know talked some pictures so no real news has happened since then um but i did make a mistake what's new but um i left somebody off in that top, you know, I, I f- got all freaked out about that top 30 there when I couldn't find the guy I was missing. Remember, I sent you the list. I found the two guys on my on my own just by sending you the list. Well, I left Jesus Lazardo off. So he's where we're going to start today. We're going to get to him. Then we got a handful of other groups that are pretty interesting. Got some old guys, some steady vets, some really interesting team duos that I like. Just kind of happened that each of these duos were drafted right by each other. I don't know if that is just coincidence or because they are on, you know, uh, they're on the same team. People hear one gets drafted. Boom. Now it's time to take one. Got some next wave guys. And then a handful of guys I didn't really have a category for, and I didn't want to force it, but let's start with Jesus Lazardo. He is in that top 30. He's in the top 100, uh, overall as well at pick 82, really solid pitcher, obviously has some trade rumors going on right now. Um, until he's traded, we are going to deal with him as a Marlin coming off his first full season, 179 innings with a 28% K rate, 30% in hundred innings the year before that, you know, just some excellent, excellent swing and miss stuff. Mid three ZRA, 121 whip, pretty good season overall. Let's operate as though he's staying with the Marlins. How do you feel about Jesus Lazardo as a Marlin? Um, I mean, I think he's fine. Uh, I, you know, last year was kind of a really big year for him. It was the first time. That I mean, he pretty much went over 100 innings. He you know had 100.1 the year before, and that was his kind of uh, largest amount of innings total in uh, in the major leagues. So good to see him stay healthy, stay on the mound. I still have worries about kind of you know if he can stay healthy, kind of on a consistent basis. Uh, I worry about the command issues popping back up. But the last two years, he's done a pretty good job of keeping the ball in the ballpark obviously helps being in Miami with that large uh, that large ballpark. So he's not a guy that I end up with very much because I do have these kind of weird notions in the back of my head, like uh, injury prone, uh, command issues. Uh, but I probably should be more on board than I am. Yeah, because again, I mean, 179 innings, pretty damn full season. Improved the walk rate as well, Lazardo did from 9% to 7%. I really do like that. The swing and miss is impeccable. There's just so much to like here. And then there's kind of the added benefit that if he is traded, he's going to be going to a great spot. Right? Yeah. Like, it, I mean, if he ends up in Baltimore, I mean, like, 
there's really no better park. Like it, it's hard. It's hard to find a better park than Miami. And, but Baltimore is True. one of them. So uh, yeah. I mean, and then I you get the team context improvement. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I'm going to probably have my first uh, shares of Jesus Lazardo that I've ever had. Um, and uh, I'm kind of excited about that. Well, good. Good. Nice to see you getting on board with Lazardo. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a fan. Somebody I'm open to picking. Um, you know, we talked about a lot of guys yesterday that we had a lot of interest in. And so, you know, it's not, he's not somebody I always land on, but Lazardo's definitely in that mix where, you know, I, if I don't get his teammate, Yuri Perez, I'll take him. If I don't get somebody like a Pablo Lopez, Lazardo comes into the picture, you know, and then he fits with a lot of these other guys too. You know, I, I probably would have had him with that, you know, uh, group that has like maybe one concern because as you do mention, there is some health in the past. It's kind of like Freddie Peralta for me, where it's like he did have a full year last year, but we can't just go off of last year and say, this is who he is unencumbered. Don't ask any yeah. questions. And that's where it is with Lazardo. But again, a lot of positivity on Peralta too. I think the hard part for me in Lazardo is he just goes around so many guys that I just love. Right. Yeah. Like, He's going behind Bobby Miller and Grayson Rodriguez uh, and Yuri Perez and Zach Eflin. And then, uh, but I feel like he should be the fallback option for me on that because I do like him more than, you know, like Joe Musgrove, who's coming off of a health uh, you know, kind of scare. Uh, you know, he, I probably should like him more than Justin Steele, who, you know, is a two pitch guy and there is some volatility in that. So I think I definitely need to start considering him like, kind of my fallback option to that tier I really like. Yeah, I I agree with that with Lazardo. So uh, pardon me for missing him yesterday. Let's get into our next group here as we move on to the next 30. we got a group of old heads here um, in that early 100s range, just after the the guys that we talked about yesterday, the super sophomores, uh, Bybee, Reagans. Then you go completely the other way with these old guys, Justin Verlander, 124, Chris Sale, 135, and Chris Bassett, 137. Verlander's interesting right now because I think people are having a little bit of a crisis of confidence with him as there's some rumblings that, you know, he's not feeling great. He has said, and he's obviously most players are are positive on their outlook saying, no, I'm fine. There's nothing to worry about. But he said, you know, hey, I'm old. I take longer to ramp up. I got some soreness. I'm not too worried about it. Joe Espada, their manager, is encouraged. Um, you know, he threw a bullpen on Wednesday they don't seem to have much concern. seems like a hiccup, but it is a shoulder situation. It's going to scare some folks. First off, first things first with Verlander, do you think the price is going to come down 124 right now? I would expect it to. I mean, anytime there's early spring news, it has an effect on the price, right? People either get really, really excited because something good is happening or uh, people overreact when something bad is happening. So uh, I I'm looking forward to the price dropping because I think that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable about taking the gamble uh, because where he's been going in drafts so far is kind of like, I don't know if I really want to pull the trigger on a guy like Justin Verlander over, you know, a guy like Sonny Gray um, mm -hmm. or a guy like Michael King. But if he drops down, like, you know, and I have to decide between him and Carlos Rodon or him and Walker Bueller, um, I'm taking Justin Verlander probably every time because I just feel much safer about what the projected innings total will be. Yeah, I mean, obviously my my love for Verlander is well known. 
Uh, definitely don't have to rehash that, but I'm, I have a little trepidation myself. You know, I'm not even necessarily diving in uh, head first here with Verlander. You just you just wonder is it going to pop again? Is it going to go? Is it going to go belly up at this age? There is concerns. He is a unicorn, but even the unicorn did get hurt that led to the um that led to the tj that he had a while ago so i understand those that are having some questions with him but if that price does come down because people overreact which i agree there is a lot of overreaction to the early spring news if that does happen then i really start to look at it and say okay now i could get here but i look at somebody like you know going way cheaper than him that we're not even going to get to on this episode because um Actually, why why isn't he on this episode? Am I forgetting another person? Hang on. Let me find out where. Um, what group did I put? Oh, no. Oh, he's coming up in the next group. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But I look at somebody like Erod, who is 70 picks cheaper. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have like... a long discussion about Erod on, uh, on Saturday, I believe it is. Um, with Nick Pollock and Eric Samolski. And uh, there's going to be some arguing about uh, some ranks. Not me arguing against you, but you and me arguing for Erod. Yes. And so, you know, I look at somebody like that specifically He because they're both in my solid veterans tier, uh, which there will be a rankings update today. So some things will shift, but not drastically on either Verlander or Erod. Um, Erod, I, I'm pretty high on. Uh, and when you look at the ADPs of that solid vets group at the top there, where Erod is, it's Verlander, Barrios, Bassett, a guy we're going to talk about here in a moment. They all are being drafted so much higher than Erod. So I really like him. So with Verlander, it's a guy I, I could land on. I'm not afraid of him, but I'm not landing on him all that often right now. And it's just one of those things where it's like, hey, uh, like you said about uh, Lazardo, when these guys are in groups with players you like more you just maybe don't land on them even if you're not necessarily out on them what about chris sale gets moved from boston to atlanta pick 135 you know obviously he has not been the chris sale that we we know and love over the past couple of years due to health concerns um you know only 103 innings last year total washout in 2022 with six innings uh, basically a total washout in 2021 as well with 43 and then missed all of 2020 so essentially missed three years uh, from 2020 to 2022 when you really look at it, which is tough. Like that's if he can rebound and have like, say, a solid four years here, that's going to be a tough part in his Hall of Fame candidacy. And I'm not saying that he is a Hall of Fame or anything, but like because he doesn't have a Cy Young, he's probably just going to be a Hall of Very Good type of guy. But missing ages 31 through 33, essentially with 48 combined innings. It's going to be really tough. Um, 103 innings last year, though. ERA was a bit high, thanks to some home runs, but a 113 whip, 430 ERA. Strikeouts were back. Is Sale back? Is he somebody you can jump in on? He's obviously on a great team now, too, which adds to his profile. How do you feel about Chris Sale as a Brave? I'm very conflicted on Chris Sale because even in his quote-unquote bad seasons he's never really been bad like last year was his worst year and it was a 430 era in 102 innings that's not what you want but like that's not the reason you lost your league especially considering where you got him last year uh but prior to that like he'd pretty much just been good his entire career yeah it's it's missed time it's never like yeah. you said it's not really uh, failure uh, from the mm -hmm. part of of Chris Sale because even those elevated ERAs, okay, yeah, we can acknowledge that, but the talent 
is always still there. Like those skills are still staring you in the face with sale. So where does that put you with him then? Is he somebody you can jump back in on? Is this price point fair enough? Too high? Where, where are you at specifically? I think the price point is fair enough. I think it just really depends on your roster construction with your pitching staff. Like if, if you've taken some kind of riskier guys, if you put the Jesus Lazardos or the Tariq Scoobles already on your roster, like I don't know that I want a Chris Sale, but I think he's like the perfect guy to pair up with a, a Framber Valdez or um, a Logan Webb, like those guys, you know, George Kirby, those guys that are going to give you volume, but aren't necessarily going to give you the strikeout per inning you're looking for. Chris Sale has had a strikeout per inning in every single season minus the seven innings in 2022. So, like, you know you're going to get strikeouts. The question is, what kind of volume are you going to get? Yep. I know the projection systems uh, that we have on Fangraphs are all around 120 to 130. I feel like 140 is, like, a fair kind of gamble on Chris Sale. Because it's but not I like understand this- why those are down there, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, like, it's not like you need to baby him, right? And this is, you know, he's even said, like, this is the first spring training he's had in years where he's actually healthy coming in. Uh, I think Chris Sale is one of those guys that I would take the gamble on. I also think he could be a pretty fast riser if he comes out throwing gas here in spring training. Definitely agree with that. And again, the concept that we talk about a lot with guys, not everyone can move up, but there's certainly a group of guys that uh, will get spring helium. Sale could easily be amongst them, especially, especially, especially being a brave. Yeah. I, I think that if he was still a Red Sox, and had a great spring, maybe he'd move up a little bit, but not as much. But on the Braves, it, he would have a chance. He has a chance to leap into the top 100. And then I get a little bit more cautious. So I, I'm pro sale. I'm, I'm down for it. But I like it at this price point. If he does skyrocket, I get a little bit more nervous about my body comp there. So I'm excited to see what he can do, though. It should be a lot of fun to see if sale can succeed with, uh, with Atlanta and have a full season. I would love for him to get all the way back and really pitch, you know, again, a full season here. When I say that, I mean, at least 162 innings, which is an ERA qualified season. His last one, Justin, for sale, 2017. We are a long way from that. That's why those 120 to 140 projection ranges make a lot of sense. What about Chris Bassett? He feels kind of like a, you know, steady, boring type of guy. You never get an oohs and ahs when you take him. You know, you're not really sniping somebody on him, generally speaking. But he just keeps doing it. And in fact, uh, he's really just been adding volume each of the last three years while doing basically the same type of thing in terms of the ratios. 157 innings in 2021, 182, and then the 200 last year with Toronto and an AL high 16 wins, which was really nice. He just keeps, you know, putting that volume together. Age 35, can he do it again? Are we putting down another, you know, at least 180 for somebody like Chris Bassett? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you can put down a 180. I do worry a little bit about kind of the elevated home run rate last year. You know, we mm-hmm. saw him get to 126, uh, which is the largest 20 size in 2019. Uh, and pretty much, you know, kind of since he broke out. So uh, I'm a little concerned about that. But I think overall, you're going to get a lot of volume, which kind of counteracts the fact that he's, you know, under a strike on any pitcher. Um, he's on a good team. He's going to get wins. He's not a guy I tend to land on a ton because he's just kind of boring in that area around other guys who are not that boring. Uh, but there's something to be said for boring, you know, and stability in your uh, in your rotation, especially if you're playing in deeper leagues. If you're playing in tens and twelves, 
probably just ignore Chris Bassett to go for a little bit more upside. But in 15s, I like kind of that stable middle of your rotation guy. Yeah, and you know, you just said this concept with um, uh, with Sale and Verlander, really, that if you're taking a bunch of risk early on, maybe you don't you, you don't go for yeah. these guys. Bassett's the kind of guy that you do go for. If you are taking mm-hmm. the Scoobles and Yamamoto's and these guys that have amazing upside, but also have a really big question mark tied to them about like, are we, you know, are they going to be the dude this year? Bassett is one of those guys that you, you feel a lot more comfortable with. If you come around, you get him, you pencil in that buck 80 and you kind of go from, from there. So yeah, I think it is more of a deep league type of play. Um, I wouldn't completely ignore him in the shallower formats, but I get what you're saying. You're shooting for the upside. I, I definitely always want to make sure that people understand that veterans have upside too, but I don't necessarily know that somebody like Bassett carries a ton of upside just because go ahead. I was going to say the upsides in the innings like that. And, and, is, and, he, and he did it though last year though. Yeah. So it wouldn't even be upside. It would be a repeat. Sorry. It'd be a repeat of what he did last year. 200 innings, 360 ERA, 118 yeah. whip. But yeah, I always want to just make sure people understand, that, you know, veterans can have upside too, but I don't think we're going to wake up and see Chris Bassett start striking out a guy per inning. That's just not I his agree. game. He yep. has a 9% swing strike rate, but a solid investment, especially in the older, uh, in the deeper leagues, I should say. Steady Vets, there's a big group here, so we'll, we'll, we'll take them uh, in stride. Sonny Gray at 118 is kind of the outlier in terms of ADP, so uh, we'll, we'll focus on him and then jump to the next group. Merrill Kelly, 150. Jordan Montgomery, still unsigned, 151. Jose Barrios, 169. Then another jump down to Hugh Darvish, 193. Eduardo Rodriguez, 197. Nathan Ivaldi at 209. And Lucas Giolito, 224. And yes, I did put him in steady vets. We'll talk about it in a moment. So we can kind of take this in three parts. Gray by himself, the next three guys, and then the final four uh, based on those ADP there so gray at 118 kind of leads the charge here um i think you know coming off an amazing season now going to st louis that's a that's another quality park to pitch in the defense should be strong behind him do you like him for essentially a repeat at least of the skills i know it's hard to repeat a 279 era he had 308 the year before but do you like him for a great era again too? say 320 or better as well where, where are you at on sunny gray yeah, uh, I don't know if I like him that much, but I do like him for like a mid three ZRA. Like his home run rate last year was ridiculous. Like that's I, that drove the, yeah. the crazy ERA. And then 308 the year before with a 10%, yeah. 9% homer to fly ball. So that's two years in a row. But again, going to St. Louis, mm-hmm. maybe there's a little something there because it's yeah, a if great you look at, defense behind him. It's and a solid a park. Good, yeah, very good park to pitch in. A division you're not really scared of that much. Yeah, trips uh, to Cincy are really the only part that gives you a little pause, which he's pitched there before. And, you know, he did give up homers in 2021. But in, in 19 and 20, when he pitched there, Sonny Gray, he was under a homer per, per nine. So home run suppression has definitely been something that he's had a lot throughout his career. He's had a few bouts where it spikes up, but for the most part, he's been pretty good. I guess the concerning part though, is those home run to fly ball rates the last two years, they just feel a bit unsustainable, even when you compare yeah. to his career average of 12%. So even if you like him at a mid threes though, that's still a pretty good endorsement because he's been on upper threes Sierra the last two years. So you think he can continue to kind of beat that, that skill projection. Um, where are you at on the innings? I think that's probably the that's, biggest question. Yeah, that's the biggest question for me. I mean, he, you know, I, I've made body comps to um, and mechanics comps to Tim Linscombe, who, like, fell apart 
much earlier than Sonny Gray had. Or, yeah. I mean, Sonny Gray hasn't fallen apart, but he has struggled uh, to kind of stay healthy in recent seasons. I mean, last year was the first year that he's thrown over 135 innings um, since uh, 2019. So uh, I'm probably going to play it a little bit more conservative and probably only pencil him in for like a buck 35, maybe a buck 40. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that that while there is some upside because, you know, there have been years where he's been over a strikeout in inning. the last two years, he hasn't been. So now you're lowering the innings total and probably got to keep the strikeouts, you know, probably sub, uh, strikeout an inning. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of hurts his overall value. Um, I have drafted him. Um, especially when I can get him as like my number three or number four starter. Uh, but I do think you, you recall wanted... just real quickly, sorry. Do you recall offhand if you paid ADP the 118 area or had you gotten him coming in below that? If you can recall off the top of your head, because um, I do think that's an interesting price point and it does give me a little bit of pause on, on Sonny Gray for again, the same reason we keep reiterating that he's around so many other guys I like that I end up leaning away from him. Yeah, I can I can find it very very quickly. So because I I just drafted him in the Barf League uh, draft. Uh, so. Okay, while you're looking that up, I'm actually going to call bullshit on myself. He's not around guys, a, a group of guys I like. It's actually that I usually take a pitcher just before him. That um, you know, well, Bradish before he got hurt. I do have Bradish shares. Bradish sees Bybee Reagan's area that they're about around before him, and then the group after him. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big Bailey Ober guy. I've been taking some gambles on Carlos Ferdon. So actually, he's a bit on an island there. Sonny Gray is at 118, um, but I usually leave that island alone. I've been finding myself taking a hitter in that range, and so it's it's not that same concept we were talking about there. Uh, it, it's something entirely different, but it still has led me to not really taking Sonny Gray. So I took Sonny Gray in the eight, middle of the eighth round, which was pick 113. Okay, so right around that ADP, which again, I don't find egregious. I've just been hitter in that general area for the most yeah, part. Yeah, the problem was for me was this is the team where I started off Tariq Skubal and Zach Eflin. Um, and the pitching just went so quickly in that draft. Mm-hmm. I really wanted Tanner Bybee, and he went the pick before me. Uh, so uh, I was I was pretty upset about that. Uh, I probably should have pivoted to a hitter there and just been like, okay, I'll find – you know, a Chris Bassett later, I'll find a Jordan Montgomery later, someone like that. But uh, I ended up going with Gray. Uh, I don't feel great about it, especially because I feel like because he has that injury risk, you have to be a little bit more careful at the top end uh, of your rotation. And I wasn't. I mean, scoobles has got risk. Uh, Zach Eflin's got risk. Both of them have had injury issues in the past. And now I kind of compounded that with Sonny Gray. So you know, something that I won't repeat in future drafts. I did take Sonny Gray in, in labor, labor on Tuesday yeah. when I took five Cardinals in a row and six of seven. And uh, it was not intentional. Um, I took I took Aaron Otto. You were Jordan just drafting Walker. with a bunch of Cubs fans and they and they all dropped? They just let them all go, yeah. I took uh, Aaron Otto, Walker, Gray, Wilson Contreras, Edmund, and then I almost took Newt Bar. I was like, no, I'll wait. I, I, I almost did it for the meme, but then I took Erod, and then I took Newt Bar in the 13th. So six of seven from the Cardinals. Um, 
I don't, I don't mind stacking a team and a team that I actually think is going to be pretty good this year, you know? So it was, it, it was pretty funny. People started noticing and like, what is up with this guy taking 8 million Cardinals? I like all of them. And so let's see here. That's uh pick nine around nine fifty. So one thirty-five. So I felt like I, again, because in that range, I took Walker and Arenado more in the range of, of where uh, Gray's ADP is. And to give you some other names going in the NFBC drafts in that range that I'm usually on, Arenado's one of them, Xander Bogarts, Casas, Suzuki, Castellanos, Spencer Steer, uh, Josh Young before the injury. So I'm just usually on hitters in that range, and that's why I don't have a lot of gray. But he fell in the labor draft. I needed pitching as well. I had to go back, you know, go back to the well after starting with some early pitching. I took Cole in the second. Uh, I had the I had the wheel at 15. So I went uh, Jordan, Alvarez, and Garrett Cole. But then I also had Hader and Quase. I went the double. The, the double closer. Then I took four rounds off from hitting from pitching, and then Gray was the comeback there. So I went Cole Gray. Gray is my number two, but then I went Erod right behind him. Christopher Sanchez also took the gamble on Bueller. I know that that's going to take some time to pay off, but that was um, you know I can wait on that in labor with the with the IL stint. So anyway, we can talk about my labor draft on Monday because I know that you did not like it, but uh, I, I did I, not. But I will gladly uh, defend it. It wasn't it wasn't as bad as like I made it out to be in the uh, in the live streams that we were we were kind of in the chat. I'll be curious why you thought uh, it was bad at all because I actually I quite it's not it. that bad. It's just it, it's rough drafting that to Jenny Butler because oh I know she, she must have sniped you a ton. She was I love destroying her team. me. Dude. Her team is unreal good. I was uh, messaging her like after every pick. I'm like, are you mad at me? Did I piss you off? Like, did I offend you? Like, what? the hell i wanted to message her and be and just like congratulate her about half it was extreme yeah like it was bobby miller xander bogarts cole reagan's ian happ chris sale those were just the early round ones then in the late rounds obviously once you get in the late rounds it's hard to complain about snipes because you know you had ample time to take them but there were tons more tim anderson great pick in the 19th round obviously he's now signed matt walner chris paddock tyler wells it was just snipe after snipe after snipe really liked a lot of what jenny butler yeah. did she put together a great team again we could talk labor on monday but yeah so sunny gray uh, seems like we we both have some interest in him. We both put him on some teams, but again, I'm usually going hitter in his range. Let's jump down, pick 150 now. These next three guys go in a similar range, about a round, uh, in a round range here. Kelly, Montgomery, and Barrios. Merrill Kelly coming off now two good seasons in a row. Is he being slept on a little bit? I mean, 150 is not a not a you know bargain basement price. But it's not terribly expensive for a guy that's now coming off of two strong seasons, 200 and 178 innings respectively, 337 and 329 ERAs, 114 and 119 whip totals, and a big strikeout spike last year where he actually struck out 10 more, 187 versus 177, despite the 13 fewer, excuse me, the 23 fewer innings from 2022 to 2023. So Merrill Kelly going to be 35, but where you at on him? I guess I could have included him and Gray in the old heads, but whatever. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on, do you think that that uh, strikeout bump is going to stick around? I mean, it, it does come with a swing strike rate of 12% when he had never been above 10% before. So there was a legitimate change. Yeah. There was a little bit legitimate change kind of in the profile, but he's also a guy who like, Hey, he gets 45% crown balls. Like mm -hmm. with that great defense behind him, which actually just got better with the addition of Eugenio Suarez at third base. So uh, I'm, 
he's not a guy that I end up with very often. He was one of my more drafted guys last year, and I appreciate everything that he did for me. Um, I he don't super tend- cheap last year. Yeah, he was so cheap. No one was buying uh, the 2022 season. He ran it right back. Yeah, and people still aren't super buying it. Again, 150 is a pretty fair price point. I think part of it is the projections all have him giving all of it or much of it back. Um, but I also think that Merrill Kelly is one of these guys that always kind of beats his underlying metrics, right? Like he just, um, because like, I don't think the projections take into account the way in which he pitches. Like he does pitch to contact a lot to get out of jams and get out of innings quickly. Um, the problem with that approach, one is sometimes it leads to not getting a ton of strikeouts. Uh, and two, I think the margin for error on a guy like uh, Merrill Kelly um, is pretty small. And so I could definitely see like he gets a bad BABIP uh, kind of luck. He's had 278 and 269 BABIPs last year. Like if all of a sudden he's at like a, I don't know, a 315 BABIP just because he gets unlucky, uh, then then things could go really, really bad really, really quickly. If you push um, if you push Kelly back to 2021, 444 ERA, 129 whip. Obviously, that would be not good off of pick 150. By the way, I'll point out it's a hundred pick jump from last year. So the yeah. market giving him a little bit more love than I than I thought there. Um, but yeah, he was picked 250 last year. So you're getting him in that range and you got a hell of a season. But even at 444, 129, in the 15 teamers we're talking about, which is what we generally focus on. That's not killing you like that. That that would not be great no. at 150, but you're not you're not like, you know, losing your league over that. It would sting and you'd be like bummed. Um, but there'd still be a lot of good starts within a 444 ERA if he if he took 30 turns. So yeah. I think Merrill Kelly's floor, um, you know, if he returns back to that isn't too terrible. So I don't mind him. You know, I, you know, we talk about Bassett at 137. I'm going to wait the extra round and maybe go Kelly. I, I don't have a I don't have a problem with it. I mean, the problem for me with and the reason why I don't end up with Merrill Kelly a bunch uh, is because the next guy on the list is Jordan Montgomery, who yes. everyone knows I love, and yes. so I'm always going to end up with Jordan same Montgomery. ADP. Uh, but that same ADP will not stay the same once Jordan Montgomery signs. Jordan Montgomery will definitely go up uh, once he, I assume, is going to sign somewhere. Um, so. Uh, Maybe I'll end up with more Merrill Kelly here in the next few weeks uh, after the Jordan, uh, Jordan Montgomery kind of ADP uh, busts up. Yeah. Is he going to play this year? No, of course he is. I I assume he's going to play this year. Of course I just, he is. I'm being funny, but like, I'm not going to ask no you where's news. he going to go. I know like, there's, there's literally no, no news. news. Like, where's the price going to go, though? Let's just say he goes to like a solid place. Um, I, again, I'm... I'm I don't even know where to put put him back on one of his old teams, Texas, New York, or St. Louis. I don't think St. Louis is going to go get him. They've, they've said that they're pretty much done. But, you know, just put him back on Texas because they can use some pitching. They got a lot of pitching that's not coming back until the summer. If he goes to Texas, back to Texas, where are you put in Jormont ADP-wise? I, I would assume he goes up to the Chris Bassett area, which is like 135-ish, So um, which I would be okay with. Uh, but... Like I tend to skip a lot of that tier for hitting, so I may. What, what end pick up did you say? I'm sorry, I was typing about 135 in, in the okay. Chris Bassett. Yeah, so he jumps into that old heads group. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and you would move off of him? 
not necessarily move off of him, but I just don't think I would get him quite as much. Okay. Um, just because I'm usually, you know, attacking, hitting there. I, I mean, gotcha. I've definitely drafted Montgomery a number of times, but part of like the allure of drafting Montgomery this uh, this season, at least, um, is been there are drafts where he just drops, where people are yeah, like, that, he's not signed and he just drops. Uh, I don't, I mean, any day now, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and by the time this comes out, he's actually signed, but. Like uh, we had a we had a discussion a week ago. We were like, "There's everybody signs over the weekend, right?" And <laughs> nobody signed. Nobody, nobody and, signed. And and virtually no news on them either. The only one that had some news, I think, was the Snell New York stuff that ramped up a little bit more. But other than that, it was like a no news it was weekend all on these guys. Like, yeah, is listen. If I were a player, I would want Boris to be my agent. Right? He is the best one. I think that's really undisputed, right? His track record speaks for itself. Are we getting to a point, though, where he is hurting his clients a bit? Or is it one of those things that we can't really say because we don't know the ins and outs of it? Like, maybe they're all okay with it. I don't know. There's four big guys, maybe one of them super pissed maybe three of them are i don't know and i don't want to speculate because i know people like to vilify boris i i used to do that but way back in the day until i learned more about uh you know the the labor side of the game and i, I support the players and well, a lot more you know i used to be that douche fan i was like you just sign i'll i'll play baseball for free if i could like yeah but i can't because i have no talent yeah. and so you know i i stand with him and i appreciate what he does for players but is he is is he possibly hurting them a little bit here now that we're starting well, I, things up? I mean, absolutely. This like I and I hate to be the tinfoil hat guy. This feels like collusion. This absolutely feels like collusion because like, all four are his guys. Yeah, like I mean, the fact that none of these guys have signed. Um, and there's no news point. on any of them except a little bit of Snell rumoring. Yeah, uh, and. and a lot of the news that we have gotten on Snell is like his contract demands are just outrageous. Yeah. Which may be true and may be the reason why he hasn't signed, but all four of these guys haven't signed. Like this is, this is insane. Like I can't imagine Matt Chapman shouldn't have signed or Jordan Montgomery shouldn't have signed by now. Um, it seems crazy. Yeah. Belly and Snell are a little different because yeah, they, you know, they both had spike seasons. Snell's always had the injury issues. Uh, but wins his second Cy Young. Uh, Bellinger, a former MVP, bounces back, has an excellent season. A little bit more trepidation signing either of them to a long term. But Montgomery and Chapman just been churning out quality seasons. It's, it's not like it's not like Chapman wants like an eight year deal, right? Like what three know, three or four year deal? Like uh, it, it is wild to for me. a platinum glove freaking third baseman. Like I just don't understand how. I mean, any of these guys are still available at this point. I mean, if I am the Giants or I am the Yankees and I'm looking at what other teams in my division have done, I'm like, just write a check. Like, right. I, I don't I don't want Blake Snell on the Giants you know, because I, I am afraid of those injuries, especially long term and how he's going to hold up over a course of like a six or seven year contract. But mm -hmm. like, come on, like. You're you're still leaving a guy who's got to be considered a top forty starting pitcher, and a guy who is probably a top fifteen outfielder on the market right now. I just don't get just it. Just chilling. 
just chilling. Very interesting. We'll see if there's any movement this weekend and maybe next month, you know, the upcoming Monday here or during Potapalooza, we could have breaking news. That'd be awesome. Nice. But uh, we'll we'll see. Maybe they're just waiting for Potapalooza. They're like, you know listen, that I need really a platform kind. to kind of announce this. And all of a sudden, in the seven o'clock hour, Blake Snell comes on and goes, listen, I'm taking my talents to Potapalooza. Oh, wait. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back back to. Uh... I've decided to sign with fan graphs. Okay, cool. We, we, we got you. We got you, Blake. Yeah. Um, Jose Barrios, he jumps down now like a, about a round, you know, just over a round plus from um, uh, from Jordan Montgomery at 151 down to 169. He bounced back. You know, it's easy to say now, but I'm on record saying it last year. I'm not just hindsight Henry over here. He felt like the easiest bounce back candidate last year um, because I just didn't believe that he was a mid fives ERA pitcher. And in fairness, the market didn't really either. His ADP was around Merrill Kelly's 245. So it's not like he was being treated like a total piece of crap going in the, you know, post 300. Uh, but 245 is still a pretty nice price point to pay for somebody that you felt pretty comfortable was going to give you 180 ish innings of quality work. He came all the way back down to a 365 ERA, gave you a 119 whip with it. He's back. How much do you hold the 2022 season as like a concern or is that just the clear outlier and you are comfortable betting on Barrios as a full season guy that's going to give you an upper threes to low fours ERA with a good whip? Yeah, I mean, I think that's who he is. I think he is a upper threes, low fours ERA guy. Um, what I think uh, 2022 uh, does do is tell you like there is a little bit of a wider range of outcomes than maybe we had anticipated coming into uh, that season. Particularly if he's uh, if, if Barrios gets hurt by the homers again. Yeah. Because that's what really ate him up was the home, you know, the meltdown on opening day was a harbinger and homers galore for Barrios in, that in year. In a BABIP that was like yes. almost 30, per, uh, 30 points over his career average. So everything went terribly. Yeah. Like, I mean, we do know that there is kind of, um, a uh a, a wider range of outcomes it's interesting because brios was a top tier pitching prospect i think the number one pitching prospect in baseball at one point and there's always been this thought for years that like there's another level of brios there's another level of brios one of these days he's just gonna pop and he's gonna be a top 10 pitcher in baseball and then 2022 comes around and now Everybody's like, nope, nope. That's not only is the the ceiling never happening, but the floor is. But now is, we run away from. It. Yeah. yeah, he's uh, thirty. Yeah, you know, he's like, been around for a long time, but he's only thirty this year. But he is, and I, I, I've always liked him. I was part of that campaign of like, yes, there's another level because I always thought he could he could spike his strikeouts and cut the homers a bit, and then it's like, okay, Paul, it's been four years of the same thing in a row. Stop projecting a a step forward. Um, and so you know, I'll just take what we get though, which is a really quality guy, and you know, bankable numbers. But another reason why I don't really take that old heads tier, or even the three guys in this tier that we just talked about. And I was just going to say that exact same thing. Like, you know, maybe this is going to be the reason why uh, I don't end up with a lot of Merrill Kelly or Jordan Montgomery or Chris Bassett earlier on in drafts because I can get, you know, a guy like Jose Barrios, a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez, like 50, you know, 30 to 50 picks later. And I think I'd rather just do that. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, 
I haven't gotten a lot of Brios this year, but I think I need to start getting a lot more Brios. Part of the issue is, like I mentioned, my favorite guy in this tier is the guy we're going to talk about here in, in a couple. Uh, yeah, uh, and and I love I love him too, and it's Iran. Yeah. But we got to talk about Darvish first. Um, but you know, so, you know. We talk about this concept a lot. We always reference Dave Potts when we do it, taking like steady, boring guys. And I don't know if Benios is a guy that he likes or not. And we're not trying to project guys onto him. Uh, but we always mention, I think like Brian Reynolds is kind of the platonic ideal uh, of that guy, at least in the upper rounds. But this that, that's what Benios is, is not necessarily just going for the Gavin Williams. And, and we're going to talk about him in the next tier. And, and the guys in that team duos tier that's coming up next, not just taking those guys all the time and trying to bet on the quote unquote upside and just taking kind of the steadiness of videos. And again, it wasn't steady in 2022, but that is just looking like a clear outlier right now. Um, you Darvish first, before we get to our boy Erod, 193. I am growing more comfortable with you Darvish, particularly at this price point, Justin. Um, I understand the concerns. I just feel like they're covered in the price. Yes, he's 37. And yes, he's coming off a four and a half ERA last year with a 130 whip. I, I grant all that. I mean, I don't I don't have to grant all that. It's a fact, right? I, I can't deny it. Um, so there's I can't. To... I'm going to deny that that happened. <laughs> that was not real. No, there's nothing to grant. It's just a, a, acknowledging the fact. But his price point's now down to 193. And I feel like that's a good spot to buy somebody who still had a 17% strikeout minus walk, 25% K, 8% walk. The home runs were up. He had some blow-up outings that really tainted the season. I just think I'm willing to bet on a bit of a rebound. And if I do get another bad season like this, again, it's not going to kill me. We just talked about it with Merrill Kelly. And Merrill Kelly is 43 picks more expensive. So if I'm comfortable with his downside, why wouldn't I be comfortable with Darvish's knowing that his upside's even higher? We're a year removed from a 310 ERA and 095 whip in 2022 from Darvish. I've just grown a lot more comfortable with him at pick 193, and I'm curious where you stand with uh, you, Darvish, these days. He's not on my draft board. Oh, so not comfortable with him. Not comfortable at all. I just think he's getting Tommy John. You know, yeah, he had his last Tommy John in 2015, so he's past that kind of safe window uh, uh, of, like, the the Tommy John honeymoon. He ended the season with elbow issues. There was a lot of talk that Tommy John was on the table. Uh, I just, I don't think, you know, if I'm going to take a guy who has, like, an injury red flag, I want there to, I want to feel like Chris Sale. Right with Chris Sale, you're all like, "Oh, he could get hurt again," but if he pitches, he's gonna be great. Right? He always is good. Now, you Darvish is usually good, but he's not always good, and it's pretty much always good. I think you're splitting hairs there because again, look at the 2022. If Darvish is healthy, why isn't that still on the table completely? I mean, I guess someone wins. I just think there's so much risk, and he's going around guys that I love. Like I just I get never it. Erod's coming him. up. Erod's right there. Um, let's see other other guys in that 190 area uh, that I really really like. I mean, you know, Pepio, I really like Savali. I like yeah. Uh, Brandon like Fott. I like. Um, so Brian Bayo's going. You know, 30 picks later, I really like Bayo. Like. I just am always going to pass up on him because I think there is, you know, for 
for a lot of guys in this area, like there is like innings risk, right? Um, Whether it's because of injury or just they're young and they have not built up innings, right? You Darvish's innings risk is like seven innings. I like know. it is like, and, and, and don't get me wrong. Every pitcher has That's that. every pitcher's right. Every, though. but yeah, you Darvish did not finish the year on the mound and mm-hmm. that petrifies me. And so, I yeah, know. he's, I mean, I don't want to say he's completely off my board because like really not landing. On if him. he, if I'm there at pick three fifty and you Darvish is somehow well, yeah, still yeah. there, like I'm just going to take the gamble, but I think top 200. No, I can't do it. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, we all got different risk tolerances. He is a uh, 233 is his max right now. 136 is his mint. Now, I'm not that interested in you, Darvish. I will say that this is 51 drafts that we're talking about over the last calendar month. Um, and the draft, again, I don't know which one I have selected here. You, you usually have a draft selected on NFBC, but I did take him in the one I have selected at pick 216. And so, you know, post 200, I'll take the shot on Darvish. Um, but I, I understand your trepidation. I just see it a little bit differently and that's totally fine. Let's get to Erod. Let's do it. And again, this is a big reason that you're not taking Darvish is because why wouldn't you just take Erod who's right there? And you just, we've talked already in this episode, uh, quite a bit, how much we love him. Erod's been a guy that I've been a fan of pretty much his entire career. And when he came to my Tigers, I was really excited because, you know, I always felt like he could be better than the guy we saw in Boston, but I think the division in the park kind of capped it, capped him where he was. Like he kind of kept putting up those same skills every year. And it's like, well, it's a really difficult division to survive in, especially when they were playing that many divisional games and the park doesn't do him any favors either necessarily. And so he was always kind of that high threes with a high one twos, sometimes a low one threes type of whip, but you know, pretty solid and again we play a lot of deep leagues so always that solid deep league guy comes to detroit and i'm like well take those same skills put them in detroit and the al central this is going to go well it didn't quite go well in 2022 had some off field personal stuff that the team let him go deal with which totally fine totally understand that you know not a not my business the team's cool with it i'm like okay get right hope everything's going well comes back last year Dealt with a little bit of injury, only pitched 153 innings, but they were really good. And they basically panned out exactly what I thought could happen in Detroit with the um, same skills, better park and division yielding better results. 330 ERA and 115 whip, both career bests for Eduardo Rodriguez. Now he moves to Arizona, better defense, still a good park, a little bit of a risky division, right? You got the Dodgers, of course. You got maybe a couple trips to Colorado. The Padres are a good team. Um, Your Giants, they're not great, and you get to go to their park. So I actually do like that a little bit, but I'm still fully in on Erod. I still think he can be better than he was in Boston, maybe a little bit worse than he was in Detroit. Give me like a 370 ERA, a 125 whip for 170 innings. That's just how I feel about him around pick 200. I love Erod. He's boring. Not going to get too many oohs and ahs unless it's a, in a draft with you and I snipe a, snipe him from you. Yeah. But I really like Erod. I think he's a nice rotation stabilizer. What say you of, of Erod? I think one of the only reasons why I haven't gotten more Erod this year is because you and I draft so much <laughs> in early drafts together because we don't yeah. solo drafts and stuff. Um but yeah, I've already got Erod on three teams. I'm gonna get him on more. I, I mean, I don't want to just repeat everything you've said. I love him. 
I think one of the reasons the projection systems have him kind of coming all the way back or a lot, a lot of the ways because they project him to kind of go back to, you know, kind of his career norm in terms of BABIP, which is around 303. But he's been 270-something each of the last two seasons, and now he's going to a, a team with the best infield defense uh, and outfield defense in Major League Baseball. Um, so, like, while maybe the BABIP comes back a little bit, like, I'm not, I'm not, like, letting it come all the way back. Uh, I... I think that Erod is uh, really, really underrated. Um, I know he's not like he never turned into the prospect that, or the the pitcher that people thought he would as a prospect. But like, you can't hold that against him. Like, you're talking about a guy who uh, probably is going to be sub strikeout an inning, but you're going to get 150 really, really good innings from. Uh, and yeah, I just think and, he's and he's great. And the price doesn't kill you, like. No. If you told me I could get a guy who just threw 150 plus innings of a 330 ERA at pick 200, I'd be like, okay, sign me up. Like, why? Like, did he finish injured? No, he finished on the mound, finished pitching well. I like, I like you, Rod. Maybe it's just a lot of Dodger fans out there that are still bitter that he didn't come to their team. Hey, it's not a birthright for you guys to get whoever you want in trade. He didn't want to leave in season because now people are trying to act like he's a hypocrite for now leaving Detroit to go to Arizona. It was about the in season move. And I'll, I'll totally be honest, respect. I didn't get it first because I didn't know it was about the in season. And so I was one of those people like he wouldn't go to the Dodgers, but he'd go into Arizona. But it makes a lot more sense. Like, especially when you've had like marital issues, you don't want to move your family halfway through the year. Like, yeah, because that that's like, what. The 2022 departure was yeah. about was something family related. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, again, most of it's not even our business anyway. The fact that some of it leaked out, we we have a general idea. And as that goes, okay, I respect your decision. And that's what you, you bargain to get rights get like that. that. Yep. yep. And I respect your your ability to use that. Absolutely. You, it's not he's not Anthony Rendon all of a sudden hating baseball because he didn't want to go to the Dodgers. If, it, if the Dodgers had offered him this year and it was, you know, ready to do a deal with them, I think he'd have gone. I don't they think were, it was a, They were a discussing a contract. Yeah. With and people were like, well, he wants to go there now. Again, yeah. It's it was about the end season. Kids' school was getting started, whatever the case may be. I respect it. And again, I hate to kind of crap on a bunch of guys that we just said some pretty positive things about, but I do have a hard time taking a ton of shares of Kelly Montgomery and Benios. Because Erod's there at 197, yeah, and I think he should be right at their price point. Mm-hmm. So it's less about negatives on them and more about positives on Erod. Yep. What, what about Nathan Eovaldi? Um, I I imagine that you're probably. I mean, it, he doesn't have the same situation as Darvish, so maybe you're a little bit more interested in him. But he carries that heavy injury risk too, where it's like, man, this could really be, you know, a a double digit inning season. Now. He does have triple digits three years in a row, 182, 109, 144, but those last two are not full seasons. He's pretty good when he pitches, uh, Eovaldi is. He's in in Texas, which is now a solid place to pitch. Never thought we'd be saying that, right? right. But uh, the new Globe Life is a nice place to pitch. Do, do you take the, the the gamble here on on Eovaldi? If you miss on Erod, does Eovaldi, is Eovaldi someone you turn to, or do you go elsewhere? I tend to go elsewhere just because the injury risk is so great, and I think one of the things we don't talk about uh, in terms of like the overall profile of Villavaldi is all of a sudden, like the strikeouts have like started to kind of trend down uh, over the course of those last two years. So it's no longer like, yeah, I'm only going to get 140 innings, but I'm going to get a boatload of strikeouts in those 140 innings and then I'll backfill 
uh, with a guy when he goes on the IL. Mm-hmm. You're now a guy that's two years in a row under a strikeout and inning, plus you've got that injury risk, and like he's not like a sparkling ERA guy. So like I feel like he is a injury prone version of like a Jose Barrios. Um or actually probably worse than Jose Barrios. Yeah, I, like he's going for the efficiency of Aldias, right? The ground yeah. ball rate has spiked with in concert with the strikeout drop, which overall is a perfectly fine theory for success, but doesn't do as much good in fantasy or as much good in fantasy. And, and maybe say. this is a matter of him going, listen, the quicker I get out of innings, the less can, chance I have to going. get yeah. hurt. Um, or uh, if I don't throw as hard as I know I can, it's yes. less likely that I get hurt. And so maybe I'm not giving him enough credit, but I don't think he's ever going to go back to being like a 180 inning guy. And so I, I think that's fair. He's, he's think, 34. Yeah. You know. Like 130 innings. Um, and when you're under a strikeout an inning at 130 innings and you don't have like this great ERA upside uh, because he's just never been a great. E- I mean, his, his best ERA was last season at 363. So like, yeah. I, to me, like, I don't want a, you know, four ERA pitcher that's only going to throw off 130 innings with the downside of like 50, right? Like, so yeah. I'm just, I'm not going to draft Evaldi. In, in a little bit of fairness to him, and I get. No, I don't want to be fair to him. No, no, no. It, it's it's fairness, but also kind of not. Um, yeah, okay. Because it, it also underscores the point about his risk. But it's worth noting that he took, he had a 269 ERA um through june 18th and then missed a month and a half due to injury came back in september and sullied that era and and raised it almost a run to 363. um but again that goes to your point about the risk with the injury i just wanted to point out that like he wasn't always sitting around this sort of uh high high to mid mid to high threes number he was looking like he was going to angle toward an excellent ERA. He gives up 12 earned in eight and a third to Seattle in his last two starts um, that really pushed it up from 305 to 363. So, but that's always kind of the risk with him is the blowups and the injury and the the blowups related to injury as well. So I totally get the trepidation with him. Evaldi's a guy that I have a huge fandom for, but I don't always translate sure. that into fantasy interest. I liked him since his Dodger days as a prospect. I root for him, but I don't need him on my team to continue that fandom. Lucas Giolito, I included him in this group. He is he is the cheapest by far, 224. But I included him in here because I'm buying back. I think this is a video situation where I'm going to take the discount um, coming off a shit season. And again, the the... Market is not overreacting to it because 224 is not a terrible price point for somebody that had a 488 ERA and a 130 uh whip. Really, really bad for both trades, LA and Cleveland, just horrendous. But if you look at the White Sox version, 379 ERA, 122 whip for 121 innings, that's generally the guy I still think that Giolito is. Not only was he being traded cross country in, in the span twice in the span of a month. He's going through a divorce. I don't know how much that weighed on him. I'm just, I'm, it's news that was out there. So I'm adding it in as something that, that could have also been affecting him. 
And I'm kind of throwing away those 60 innings. They just, I don't think that's who he is. He gave up a billion homers. Homers are always an issue with him, but not 2.8 and 3.2 homer per nine rates, which is what he gave up uh, with LA and Cleveland respectively. I think it gets back to the guy that we've seen, you know, that we kind of are used to. And I know that he had a 490 ERA yeah, I was and a about to say. <laughs> in 2022. I totally understand that. But I felt like he bounced back. So it, it looks like two years of the same kind of shit. And I, I, I understand that that's what it looks like with Giolito because that's what it is. Those, those are the numbers. I don't believe the LA and Cleveland version. So I look at the White Sox version and I see a guy that is probably going to be like a low four ZRA, but a good whip and the upside to be like a mid three ZRA. And I'm okay to take him. I took my first share of Lucas Giolito in, in the Barth League draft. Probably the worst place I could have done it because, like I said, like that is already a risky pitching staff. Um, but I just kept getting sniped. And uh, here's the thing. I don't trust Lucas Giolito. I don't know who Lucas Giolito is anymore. Um, he's just become so hitter-friendly, um, especially like Leighton Counts. Uh, and I... I do wonder like if it is more of a head thing than it is a physical thing. Um, mm -hmm. And like I said, you mentioned a bunch of stuff that was going on off the field uh, um, that, you know, may have affected him on the field. You know who I do trust? I trust Andrew Bailey. Like Andrew Bailey is the yeah. pitching coach pitching of coach. the Boston Red Sox was the pitching coach of the San Francisco giants when they did a bunch of reclamation projects. Um, I think the talent is still there. Uh, and I think this price point is good enough where like, Hey, if he doesn't succeed, I can drop him. Like, I'm not like, I'm not that worried about like just dumping my, you know, pick that I got after 200. Yeah. If things if aren't Cleveland working, I think LA, we're going to know pretty quickly whether or not, if it's real not. and yeah. he's like a one five or higher home run guy, which by the way, He's not that far from it the last two years in 21 and 22. I, I grant that. But if he's sitting easily 15175 with the Homer 9 and it's just not working, yeah, I cut him. Pick 224, yeah. I don't love cutting that pick, but you're not guaranteed to keep yeah. a, a mid-200s type of pick anyway. So I'm willing to take the gamble. I think he has some upside here uh, that I'm willing to bet on at age 29, and Bailey pick, is a big reason. So pick 225 is the end of the 15th round. In, in a 15-teamer, right, if, if you're talking about a shallower league, a 10 or a 12, right, obviously he's way below that cut line. But that is the cut line, uh, for at least for me, of like after the 15th round of the draft, everybody I just drafted is cuttable fairly instantly. Because yep, you're you going know. to drop 17 of your 30 guys at some point in the season more than likely anyways so you want to hear um, some names that were around that price point last year that, sure. that you you definitely were cutting pretty easily jack flaherty 223 yep. uh now a big hit was zach eflin uh tower yep. molly was an injury flame out but again you know a guy you invested but I, th in. I think the difference between like eflin and jack flaherty is what Le lucas giolito could be right because yeah. lucas giolito we were drafting him in the first and second rounds of draft. I know. Not that long ago, right? I did it. I drafted him After eighth overall in my 2022 main event. Uh, of course, I lit that money on fire. But <laughs> that being said, like, like the upside is still there for him. Maybe not to be a top five starting pitcher. But, like, 
you can't tell me top 25 isn't in the cards for Lucas Giolito. Now, you know, bottom 25 is in the cards for Lucas Giolito. Sure. He literally was the worst pitcher in starting baseball one year. Um, but and one of the worst last year. I mean, because here's the thing, too. He takes his turns. He took 33 turns yeah. last year. So among the qualified starters, I bet his 488 is pretty low. It will be fourth worst. So bottom five is in the cards. Just make sure you don't start him on Patriot Day. At all. If they happen, yeah. first off, if Boston picked him up and they start him there, they're stupid. They should I, know better. I hope he put in his contract that I will not pitch I cannot. before noon. Yeah. I cannot do it. He is yeah. a he's a night owl. He's a video game nerd, and uh, he's just not prepared for that morning start at all. Let's talk some team duos here. Uh, again, the, the way the ADP worked out, these two players on each team go right near each other, and it makes sense. I, I can totally see why. Gavin Williams and Shane Bieber each have a 169 ADP. Brian Wu and Bryce Miller, 177 and 180. Aaron Savali and Shane Boz, 203 and 205. So it really worked out interestingly there. Um, by the way, we're on part two of our pitcher preview and we're done with the Seattle rotation after this tier. That's how insane, insane their yeah. rotation is. But let's start with the two Cleveland guys. You got kind of a young we're, and we're older. almost done with the Cleveland guys. Too. True. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Logan Allen will be the, the last one. Um, I, I say young and old and I put the old in quotes. Bieber's not old, but, uh, he's a veteran, let's say. And, uh, and Gavin Williams is going into his second year. So I guess we have McKenzie as well, too. So McKenzie and Allen will finish that. But we'll be done with Cleveland by part three. Uh, but Bieber gaining some interest because of some uh, some pitch work that he did in the offseason. And I don't know how interested you are in that. He's a guy that I, I was bought in on last year. Um, and I thought he could regain his strikeouts. He did not. Now, the 380 ERA and 123 whip that he had for 128 innings was fine but it came with a 20% K rate. He shaved off even more strikeouts. So the opposite of what I was hoping would happen. Do you see a potential path, a real path to rebound here for Shane Bieber? I mean, yeah, I do. Like, especially with the reports, his velocity uh, is not only back, but like um, about the best of his career uh, going to driveline this off season. I have not been a Shane Bieber guy for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. But even me, as a and, an, and maybe I should rephrase that, I've never been a Shane Bieber guy. I've no, never you really have it. I absolutely have been one of his biggest detractors. Um, I'm not taking a victory lap on it because, like, that's no, like a sales situation. Yeah, last year was the first forever. year you were correct. Yeah, <laughs> and like, uh, and now it's like I can't like and like. Even last year, like he still like he didn't have an ERA over a four. Like it no. wasn't like it really it was wasn't volume. that bad. The volume um, stung, yeah. yeah. One twenty-eight. That's it. But other than that, Bieber again, yeah, pretty good when he pitches outside of his rookie year when people didn't really know about him. Since then, he's been a really good pitcher. Can the K's get back, Justin? Do you believe in this little velo spike here? Are we, are we thinking that he can really rebound? He's he's only twenty-nine, by the way, as well. Yeah. I don't know that it gets all the way back to kind of the levels that we saw years ago. Like, I still don't think he's like, he's ever going to be like a 30% K guy, but like, why can't I get back to 25%? Mm -hmm. um, I think the question is like, he dealt with injuries last year and is he actually going to be able to sustain health is my biggest issue. But I think at this price point, it is such a worthy gamble. Um, I haven't done it just because there is that part of my brain that goes, Shane Bieber bad. Don't draft Shane Bieber. But like 
I bet you once I'm done with my pitching projections that he is much higher on my ranks than I would expect him to be in higher than ADP. So I assume I will end up with Shane Bieber at some point because again, he's past this cut line of like, if he gets hurt, yeah, it sucks. Um, but I can drop him pretty easily. I don't have to worry about holding on. Yeah. I I'm, I'm definitely with you there with regards to um, Shane Bieber. I've been there before. Like I said, I've, I've been a fan I'm remaining a fan. I think this price point is totally fair to take the gamble. I like that we're getting some news that that the velos are going up. Going to be eager to see how he looks in spring. Could be a spring riser. I'm, I'd be surprised if he like was crazy spring riser because of his health concerns and, and the trepidation that a lot of people have. But he could rise up into, say, the 140s, 130s. But if he's pitching well in spring, I would pay that for Bieber. What about Gavin Williams? Coming into his second year here, nice standout 82 innings, uh, 24% K rate. Walk rate a little high at 11%, but you know that's, that's a rookie for you. 329 ERA, 126 whip. Are we buying in on more? For him, you know, Cleveland's a team that it, people get really interested with their starters for good reason. They've been developing them left and right. They had a huge wave last year with the um, uh, with, with the core group coming in, and now we need to know if you know Bybee going to try to do his second year thing. We talked about him yesterday. Gavin Williams, Logan Allen, those are the second year guys. Can Bieber and McKenzie get back? And if they can, that's why you can make a case for every team to win the division except for the White Sox because yeah. That pitching staff could be amazing for the Guardians, and it wouldn't even matter that they don't have any outfielders. What do you think of Gavin Williams a year or two? Uh, I want to correct something I just said on Shane Bieber. He's not below the cut line, so um, but he's still going way way cheaper than I'm than I would have expected him to. Mm-hmm. Um, Williams, I love the stuff. Like the stuff is so good. The question is, can he control it? Um, because the walk rate was really high it's been you know as high in the minors as well last year and i do worry that he is going to struggle with that control i think there's a ton of strikeout upside in that arm we've seen all throughout the minor leagues uh we saw kind of brief stretches in which like he was striking guys out left and right last year so i think this is like one of like the really interesting high upside low downside plays right i think he's one of those guys there's a big gamble there with the control yeah, I mean, I think we saw it last year. I think we saw the upside, right? Like, we, we saw a guy who th- had 329 ERA. Uh, really nice. If, if you go, like, hey, I think there is a chance where, like, he could pull off, like, a 30% strikeout rate, which, you know, he did pretty much all throughout the minor leagues. Like, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty tantalizing to me. And maybe you're going to yell at me. You may yell at me. Oh, God. Why draft Dylan Cease when you can get Gavin Williams so much Stop later? Stop it. Stop it. I They're am kind of the same guy. They're not the same. One of them has 82 career innings, Justin. I know. I know. It's Obviously. not a big enough price Obviously. discrepancy to say that. I get your general point, but I can't get all the way there when you're talking what, about a guy what, who is 200 in the bank. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm obviously being hyperbolic. I would take both. I don't know that I will. Well, why not? Like, depends on what the shaping, rest of my. Ro- well, of course, you got to shape your rotation like, properly. You yeah. can't have a bunch of whip risks with them. They need to be your whip risks, yeah, right? You take a bunch right. of other stable guys. You got your Logan Webbs of the world. You got your Jordan Montgomery's, your E Rods. Um, but then you take both of these guys for the big K upside. Sure, he could get there, but I don't think it's quite the Kirkland brand Dylan sees here just yet. I think that 
the I think that like it is a obviously it's not a fair comparison because of the only 80 innings in the major leagues but like if we're projecting out if we go hey who does this pitcher remind you a sure. little bit of I think the overall line of a Dylan Cease which tells you hey like could Gavin Williams be a top 20 starting pitcher this year yes could it be a bottom 20 starting pitcher this year yes are you willing to take that gamble at pick 169 I haven't been yet it's more uh, one, another one of these things where it's like, I just like other guys. It's not so much an anti-Williams take, but I just haven't really landed on him. Let me see where I have him right. He's my 61st pitcher. And well, so that's actually way below what we're dealing with here because I think he is pitcher 50-something. Let me see here. Pitcher 45 in, in ADP. So I'm, I'm pretty yeah, low on, feels, on the market. That feels pretty... Uh... I, to me, I, I don't love that kind of volatility. Now, again, league context, right? So a 10-team Roto League, a 12-team Roto League, I'll take the gamble on Gavin Williams because, like, you know, you're going to be churning the back end of that pitching rotation anyways, right? Um, in a 15-teamer or in a head-to-head -head league, I'm probably not taking that gamble. I uh, think the best way to say it would be this – tier versus the last tier this tier is more of yeah. your shallow league tier to take those gambles because mm -hmm. the adps are pretty similar and then those steady vets are probably the guys you want again for their steadiness their boringness in the deeper formats where you're trying to get as much stability as possible um and that's how i break it down i think all six of these guys are like your 10 12 team types that you think could really pop and there's a guy in this tier that i absolutely love and so I'm probably not going to draft uh, a ton of Gavin Williams because I'm going to get the other guy who's going a little bit later. All right. Well, let's talk the Seattle Mariners, guys. By the way, I did do the um, the Savali Boz. I could have put Pepio with one of them, but their ADPs were so close, and Pepio's a little bit higher. He's in the well, next year, by the way. I mean, Boz has got to be on your do not draft list considering he's not going to be back until August or something. Wait, what? Yeah, like there, there was a report he's not going to be back to like mid to late summer. Really? Yeah. I missed that to have st start delayed to his season. It doesn't say that long. It just says expects to I, start in spring training, extended spring, and start a rehab assignment. I could have sworn. I will, I will look it up. If it's that long, then yeah, maybe we should just move Pepio into this tier. But let's talk the the two Seattle Mariners first here. Again, finishing off their rotation here before we are through pick 200, which is amazing. Brian Wu and Bryce Miller, it's so easy to kind of compare the two the, the, way, they, the way we did with Gilbert and Kirby last year, kind of pair them, uh, especially because their names both start similarly with the Bri-Bri. Between the two, just straight up right away, who do you like better, uh, Wu or Miller? And that's who we'll start to talk about first. It's Miller. It's, I mean, right. this is the guy I was just referencing that I just like a lot more than every other guy in this tier. Okay, so let's talk Bryce Miller. Came in last year, uh, really showed out, showed some nasty stuff. I was really impressed by Bryce Miller. Uh, put up 131 innings of a 432 ERA and 114 whip. This is one of those types that I talk about where don't get totally caught up by the ERA and ignore the fact that it was a really strong whip especially for 131 innings. I think there's ERA upside here. Frankly, I think there's strikeout upside too. It was yeah. only a 22% strikeout rate, but 5% walk. 
And he's got some swing and miss stuff in his arsenal that I think he could really push that up to like a strikeout per inning. So I'm with and, you. Like, and he's adding a splitter this uh which this this year. Love that. Um, so talk about Miller. Go ahead. Yeah, I just think his stuff is too good to be down here. And I know that like he got overshadowed by Brian Wu because Brian Wu came up and was so good. But Bryce Miller is one of those guys when you watch him pitch, you go, I think this guy has ace potential. And I don't see that in a Brian Wu. I think Brian Wu is a very good pitcher. Uh, and if healthy, I think he will be able to kind of just do a lot of what he did last year. But I think Bryce Miller is one of these guys where I go, if things go right, if he's able to add that splitter and actually use it, right? We see guys add pitches all the time and they never use them. Yes. You know, uh, we get tricked every year. But if Miller's able to kind of add that splitter and actually use it 10% of the time or maybe even more, I think all of a sudden you've got a very well-rounded pitcher who's shown really, really good control. Uh, you know, the command, you know, can be spotty here and there, but with an extra pitch, I think that that'll help kind of keep hitters off balance. And Bryce Miller is a dude. I haven't gotten enough of him already, but I will be getting a lot more of him. Yeah, I just, I like so much of what he can do as is. And then if that splitter can be a weapon for Bryce Miller, then I, I agree there could be another level here, especially with the strikeouts, because, you know, an 11% swing strike rate is not, you know, outsized or anything too crazy. But that alone, the shorthand is to double it, right? So 22%, which is exactly what his K rate was. But it can be as high as like a one, two, five of your strikeout. Like you can, you can do that and say like, okay, 11 times 1.25, uh, or, or excuse me, times 2.25, I should say, 20, uh, 25% on top of that. And then you can start looking at something a little bit more like that 25%, 26%. K rate. And then if the splitter adds more swing and miss to Bryce Miller's profile, then all of a sudden you are talking somebody that can really push into that upper 20s strikeout, right? I just think there's real upside here. Um, and I love that he threw 131 innings last year. So in fact, plus another 20 in the minors. Mm -hmm. So he really shouldn't be babied if he's healthy and going. Uh, he threw 150 total innings. That sets him up for a full season. I really like Bryce Miller. I think this is a fair price point to take the gamble. I'll take him in any format. The shallow formats, the the deeper formats, I'm in on Bryce Miller. Yeah. Brian Wu, I, I see them pretty similarly, but a little bit different, if that makes sense. It doesn't. It actually sounds completely contradictory, but <laughs> I understand why they're paired together, right? Again, came up, same team, names start similarly. He had the strikeout upside last year at 25%, but his walk rate was near double. And that's where the yeah. split comes. I like that he showed more swing and miss and that he was, you know, the better strikeout guy. And I think that's going to continue to be part of his game, but his command and control were both spotty at times. So he wound up with a similar ERA 421, but only a 121 whip. So that's where the, that's where they diverges a little bit with the extra walk rate. That said, I don't think he's a bad price at 177. I'm just always going to take Miller instead. But if somebody jumps Miller, I'm not against woo. Now, um, Pepio, he's in the next tier, but he and Savali, and I, Boz, until you, you mentioned that, that that news that he's being delayed. Uh, but all three of the Rays are generally why I probably lean away from somebody like Wu if I don't get Miller. But um, I think he's still pretty good. Can, can't he not be somebody who has upper 20 strikeouts for 140 innings with, you know, decent ratios, upper threes with a mid, uh, a low to mid one twos whip? I'm a little worried about his innings, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, he only okay. threw about 130 last year, and 
he dealt with elbow issues kind of in the middle of the season. Now, I finished the year on the mound, finished the year fine. It mm-hmm. just kind of gives me a little bit of a worry. And when he's going around other guys that I really like, including his uh, teammate Bryce Miller, who we just talked about, I'm probably just not going to draft Brian Wu very much, um, which I, I think is fine, right? It's, it's yeah. That's totally okay. Uh, I, I don't see a ton in the profile that I'm super, super scared about. Maybe a little bit of command and control problems, but that park is pretty nice to pitch in. Uh, so I don't know. I just I feel like rookie you, bumps, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I guess if you can, if you want to uh, pick one thing, it's not a deep arsenal. It's really, it's super fastball yeah. heavy, 73%, which is rare these days, right? We see a lot of guys going away from fastballs, but he's got a good one. And then the cutter and slider, they are different. They're distinct, but the slider is only a 9% pitch. It's a 4% show me changeup. I'd Neither like to see that. are very good pitches either. Like Exactly. I'd like to see that the, the secondary arsenal really take a step forward before I really feel comfortable in somebody like Brian Wu. Yeah, I, I'd almost love him to add a different pitch that might be more effective or, or maybe change the grip on something to try to get a little bit more movement, maybe in that slider. Um, Especially because the platoon, because of the way that, you know, cutter and slider aren't that different in terms of pitches. Like I said, his mm-hmm. are distinct four mile an hour split. So they are two distinct pitches, but they both work better against righties. He had just a 7% strikeout minus walk against lefties versus 26 against righties. Yeah. That puts a lot of risk on uh, Wu. Maybe he needs to get in the lab and get the splitter. Yeah, to get, I think to get that an would be handed pitch. Yeah, I think that would be actually really beneficial for him. So, like I said, I'm just I understand why other people are really excited about him. I this reminds me a little bit of it's like early career least Castillo, where everybody got really really excited, but he wasn't quite finished yet. Now he could have like the rest of. Wait, are we talking about Cole Reagan's? Could be. Sorry, we were just talking <laughs> about that this morning. Uh, so that like, might be, hate, that I, might be a discussion on Potapalooza, but no, I, I see what you're I, saying. Like, I hate to say like that. And like, his and price you, point's much cheaper, though. Yeah, we, and, were, and, we were taking Castillo top 100. Yeah, exactly. But like, I hate to say that on a guy that then went like complete ham and like, yeah, that turned into. But a, it took some touch, time. But it took some time, and people like I remember having when like back in the day when Eno was on the pod. And I was just behind the glass. I remember like yelling at you guys, like you guys are overrating Luis Castillo because of how good that fastball can be. Um, uh, And I think I was right. Now, at this price point, it's not a bad gamble to take. Like we're we're talking about a guy for Wu. Wu. Like we're talking about a guy who's going pick 177. I just, to me, like there are other guys in this tier that kind of do the same thing, but also have secondary pitches as well and didn't have elbow issues in the middle of the season last year. So I think I would rather have Gavin Williams. I think I'd rather have Bryce Miller. That platoon really pushes me away on Wu. I'm just going to take Miller. I'm going to take either Guardian, Bieber, or Williams, and I'm going to take at least one of these Rays. Um, I'll keep keep monitoring Boz, but I'm going to take... Update on boss. I was wrong. It was not, okay. I don't know what I saw. So uh, they, he's going to go to expend, uh, extend spring training as a way of kind of managing his workload early. So that way he's available for the second half of the season. So that makes sense. So you might only get five months out of him. I think at pick 205, that's not terrible if he can be what we want. Him to I think, be, but he is still I think coming it, off a of TJ. Yeah. And I think it really depends on your format, right? So like in your yeah. format where you don't have you know, because when he goes to expect extended spring training, a lot of times they don't put them on the IL. Right? Yeah, that'll like, just what, be an active that, player. 
you know, so like for those of you who don't play in NFBC, like you're always like, oh, like, you know, like I don't care about your guys' NFBC leagues or the NFBC format because I play in leagues with IL, which is totally fair. However, this is going to be a, a very NFBC kind of centric idea because he's going to take up one of your roster spots because they probably won't put him on IL. He'll be considered a minor spot. And if he's not up till June, let's say, can't do um, I don't know how you hold the guy, especially if you don't have very deep benches. Like if you've got a five person bench, like how do you hold one of those spots for Shane Boz? I can't. No, I can't either. So I, I, just, now, I, I, won't, I won't be having him. In leagues where you have, you know, a lot of roster depth, a lot of bench depth, like you got 10, you know, bench spots, like totally fine with it, right? Drafting holds, totally fine with it. But uh, other leagues, uh, I think I'm probably just going to miss out on Shane Boz and enjoy watching him come back and pitch later in the year. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Uh, what about Savali then? Let's focus more on him at pick 203. Goes to the Rays in that nice challenge trade there. You know, two two solid pieces. Prospect Kyle Manzardo, who's basically left-handed Curtis Mead, and they don't even have room for Curtis Mead, so that's why Manzardo was expendable. Um, to get a quality arm, and they they were hemorrhaging arms, so they needed somebody. And Savali went over there to, to Tampa Bay and just was amazing. Uh, really hit the ground running with them. Was pretty good in Cleveland, by the way. I always liked him in Cleveland, but he had another level last year. The funny thing is, is that his ERA actually sucked. And so it's probably glossed over a little bit how well he did. He put up a 536 ERA in his 10 starts with Tampa Bay, despite the fact, Justin, that he had a 29% K rate and a 6% walk. But that's what happens when you have a 1-4 homer 9 and uh, 10 hits per nine, thanks to a 373 Babbitt. We call that unlucky. I do not believe that at all. Now, I'm not saying I fully believe the, the strikeout spike either, but I believe elements of it. Like, I think he can hold some of those gains while his Babbitt luck smooths back out where it should be. And maybe the home run stayed the same, by the way. I, I'm not even going to say that that was terribly unlucky, but the Babbitt, I just don't buy. 373, that's never been something he's had. It was a small sample fluke, I think, for Savali. I think there's a big season here coming. The biggest question for me is health. Um, 122 innings last year, 124 in 2021. Those are his two highs. And we know Tampa Bay is not going to push him for like 180 or anything. But I think that this is a guy who can give me, I'll, I'll go 140. I'll just go a little bit over his his previous career high. I don't want to set some new high that's like 50 innings higher than anything Savali's ever done. But I think I can get 135, 140 innings of really good work in Tampa Bay with added strikeouts versus what we've ever seen from him before. And at pick 203, I think that's a great pickup. Where do you stand on Savali as a full season Ray? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, I really don't know what he is right now, and that scares the crap out of me. You know, the price point is fine. Like, pick 200, you're like, you know, like, okay, I don't necessarily need that guy to pop. But I I, I don't buy the huge strikeout games. Like, you know, he had uh, like an 11% swing track rate and a 29% strikeout rate. Like, those two things don't necessarily match up on a guy like Savali. Um, the home run rate has me a big concern. Obviously, the BABIP, like, he got on, like, just really, really unlucky at that BABIP. A 370 BABIP yeah, after the crazy. trade. Like, that's just insane. I really don't know what to make of him. I honestly don't. And when I don't know what to make of someone, I don't usually draft him. 
Um, like, I, I just don't know what kind of pitcher. He's one of those guys that I really want to watch in spring and see, like, is he getting strikeouts? Is, you know, you know, strikeouts and walks are kind of the two things I'm really paying attention to, um, you know, in spring training, uh, especially because for some reason we still can't watch every freaking spring training game, uh, even know. though, like, it just makes zero sense. But, um, yeah, I'm, I don't, I really don't know what to make of Savali. Like, I just, I don't get, like what they did to make him so effective outside of the, you know, unlucky Babbitt and home run issues. So I, I'm just going to stay away from him because I don't know what, I, I don't think he's got the upside where I go like, Oh, if he, if he like, you know, has a really good season, you're really going to regret it. I, I don't think that's, I mean, I don't know about regretting it, but I do think there's real upside here with Somali. Like, I, I, I mean, if I, he has a 29% strikeout rate, I don't even think it has to be that high. I think he can hold some of these games. Strikeout rate, yeah. With all, you know, um, because you know. I always felt like he could get a higher strikeout rate in Cleveland, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was something where you know he's a big ground ball guy, so maybe he was trying to go for the efficiency route because he doesn't walk too many guys either. So maybe Savali never really got into his strikeouts with Cleveland for that reason. And yes, I I grant you that the swing strike rate is not particularly gaudy at eleven percent to necessarily yield a twenty nine percent K rate. But again, I don't need 29. Give me 25, 26, which I do think is very much in the cards for 135 innings uh, with the team there. I think he, I think yeah. there's a lot of upside. So I'm, I'm pretty interested. I think the price is always fair, too, at, at pick 200. Yeah, I think the price is fine. Does it concern you at all that he's never had 125 innings at the major league level? A bit. A bit, yeah. yeah. Um, like that—that's definitely part of the risk. But that—that that comes with the two hundred price point. Is—is is I think that that's kind of covered there. Because here's okay. the thing: guys don't pitch innings, right? Like we don't—we don't get innings anymore. Yeah. Um, I was actually just talking about this or writing about this um, in my update yesterday when I was doing the Paxton update. Actually, let me get my little my little tidbit on that because yeah, because I talked about how he didn't throw a ton of innings and you can't really expect him to. So he threw. Um, he had a low 100s innings output last year, which actually surprised me. I didn't think Paxton threw that many innings. Only 127 innings through only 127 pitchers threw 100 plus innings last year, down 13 from 2022. Like we just don't get that many guys throwing a ton of innings. So at pick 200, even if I only get the buck 20 that we've seen out of Savali, I'm okay with that. But I do think there is upside to get 150 here. He's going to be 29. Um, we know, like I said, Tampa Bay is not going to run him into the ground, but I think they could get 150 from him. Yeah. I mean, I think they could, I don't know that I would project it that high, but, uh, I think that, uh, I'm probably going to protect like 135 and, and be okay. Um, I yeah, just, that, that's fine. Yeah, I still, I don't, I don't get what's going on. Like, and this is one of those where it's like, I don't know that I'm going to ever draft him unless he drops in a draft, which I guess he could do. Certainly could, right? ADP. Um, is not the same as you know where they go all the time. Let me get his range real quick. Savali goes as late as 238, so you know, not crazy, uh, but a couple rounds lower than that ADP. 238 is right next to Christopher Sanchez, which you know, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm gonna go I'm, with Sanchez, Sanchez too. but I, I'm a why not both type of guy. I'll take Savali yeah. and Sanchez. Um, so yeah, I, I do like him. I think where, where are we at on time? Should we wait? Because this next tier has seven pitchers. Yeah, why don't we uh, why don't we cut it for today and then we'll pick back up again on Monday. Totally fine. All right, man. Well, 
we're going to get out of here. Hopefully you get to feeling better. I saw you've been having to wipe your nose a little bit with tissue. So I hope that this is just a little temporary thing and you're good to go for tomorrow. Like I said, I know you're going to show up anyway. You're Cal Ripken there. You're going to Iron Man it up regardless. Yep. But uh, I cannot wait. Give us some details on Potapalooza. Yeah, Potapalooza, two-day live stream event. You can uh, uh, watch it on my YouTube, on my Twitch, which is Justin Mason FWFB. Or uh, you can watch my fan graphs. I'm just—I've already Post set up on the, the page yep. to go live uh, about 10 minutes before uh, Potapalooza start, 10 a.m. to 7 or 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. So uh, early in the morning for me on the West Coast, but uh, it'll be over earlier in the day on the West Coast. So uh, every dollar you donate, and I've got—I'll put links in the fan graphs posts and uh, links in the YouTube—gets uh, you raffle tickets to win uh, awesome prizes, including. My extra Sean Bouchard jersey. Uh, <laughs> I want and, that. <laughs> as well as uh, a bunch of like bobbleheads, um, subscriptions to, you know, places like The Bat and uh, um, uh, like Masters Ball and STN uh, and uh, also uh, baseball cards. Uh, but most importantly, if you've ever wanted to be in TGFBI, for every thousand dollars we raise, I will give away a spot in next year's TGFBI. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, donate money. Uh, like I said, I'll have the link in the bio of uh, the YouTube and uh, and the FanGraphs post. Um, and I'm hoping between uh, every all every every dollar you donate goes to Fantasy Cares, which is a fantastic organization that uses fantasy mm -hmm. sports as a way to raise money for like toys for tots and things like that. I think they like donate tens of thousands of dollars sort of toys every single year. Um, and we've already raised over $6,000, which is like $2,000 more than we did for TGFBI last year. So we're just combining it all together. One big pot going in. So I'll give away at least six, maybe even more spots in uh, TGF or uh, in TGFBI for next year. So definitely come watch. Uh, and I will put, I will break them into podcast episodes. I'll put some on this feed and some of the Friends of Fantasy Benefits feed. Uh, and then it'll be available on YouTube to watch after the fact as well. That sounds great. I cannot wait. Justin, I'll be with you on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but I got to get out of here. My, my vet just called me, so I got to take care of this for uh, Charlotte's uh, teeth appointment. But I will talk to you during the weekend. Have a good one. Take it easy.